Hello, folks. This is your host, Tammy Turner, and you are now listening to the Tierra Talk Show. We bring you rare interviews with the makers of Disney magic. Whether they be singers, actors, dancers, imagineers, animators, they all have made their mark on the Disney name. To find out more about the show and other episodes, head to our official website at www.thetierratalkshow.com. Be sure to look below at the show notes in the Show More section for links to our Twitter and Facebook pages, including videos and websites mentioned in the following interview. Photos and audio clips that are featured in the show belong to their rightful owners and are only used for educational purposes only. All guest opinions are theirs and theirs alone and do not represent the opinions of the Tierra Talk Show or the host. The Tierra Talk Show is not associated with the Disney Company. Thanks again for tuning in and have a hoop-de-doo day! Today on the Tierra Talk Show, we will be discussing one of my favorite topics with our special guest, music. Music is one of the most important parts of creating a film or an attraction, and our guest has written several for the Disney Company. Credits include the 2007 score in Spaceship Earth, Ellen's Energy Adventure, several Roger Rabbit cartoons, The Rescuers Down Under, and many more. It is my absolute pleasure to welcome Emmy Award-winning composer, and conductor Bruce Broughton to the Tierra Talk Show. Well, thank you. Nice to be here. Well, you actually mentioned some of my favorite scores. So I, I like theme parks and I like animation. So that's, you know, we're off to a good start. <laughs> They're absolutely um, amazing. So um, I think as a young child, the first score I clearly remember hearing in the parks um, was the one from Ellen's Energy Adventure attraction, which still plays to this day. Which, thank goodness it does, because I love hearing it when I go on the ride. So it's a theme that always gets the rider excited to travel with Ellen DeGeneres and Bill Nye the Science Guy back to the age of the dinosaurs. So how did you begin to compose this specific score? Well, you know, each of the theme theme park shows are different. Um, I've done a lot of the film shows, and a few of the rides, like Spaceship Earth is a ride, but this one is basically a film with a slight ride stuck in it and that the people movers move you from room to room. But it's basically a big, um, a big movie. And um, we, we sort of have to figure out where the room is, where the screen is, where the story is, where you're going to move, where the action's going to be. If you remember on this one, it starts in a, uh, it starts in a large room. You get the opening, and then, then the people movers take you through the diorama with all the, the uh, dinosaurs and all that. And then you end up going through various other pictures and other stages. The story continues, the story progresses. So all of that is, are the kinds of things that we get laid out at the beginning as we try to get to understand, or rather as I try to understand what the show is. Some of these shows can be very confusing because the um, the guys who work on it or the people who work on it spend a lot of time creating this stuff, and they they really understand it very well. They know, for instance, in Ellen's show, they know how many people they have to move. They know how much space they have. They know how much the room can hold. They know how long it takes to get the people from one room to another room. So all of that timing is part of, the music that I write, and when certain things happen, that that also when things happen during the show, that also is part of what I write. So uh, to try and get in and understand and, and get up to speed to where they have been over the past I don't know last couple of years as they've been developing this this show is usually the very first hurdle to get into. Once you get into it, um, 
then you get involved with the story, and um, you get involved with the ride, and you get involved with the attraction, you get to see how the thing grows and how it moves, and you're always aware that there's going to be many, 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 many people who are going to be watching this. You know, you, you, not only just thousands, but hundreds of thousands, millions of people are going to be watching this, listening to it over the coming years. So, you know, you, you can pay attention to what's going on. They're, they're really rather uh, spectacular rides, spectacular shows. I remember uh, watching an interview where you said your father was very proud of this specific ride because you told him um, uh, that you composed the music. Well, actually, yeah, what, what it was is he used to live in Orlando, so I took him one day to Epcot. And as we're standing in line, you know, he's a dad. Now, I'm, at this point, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not a real young guy, but my dad was probably nearly 80. And we're standing in line, and we're, and we're waiting to get our tickets, we're waiting to get into the park. And some music came up over the, over the sound system, and I said, oh, Dad, I said, that's, that's my theme, that's my music. Oh, he said, and he tapped the guy on the shoulder in front of him. He said, my son wrote that music. <laughs> so, yeah, so my father was just a proud father. <laughs> did, you get to, um, did you get to attend the uh, first day that that specific attraction was open by chance? No, um, I don't think I've ever been... I don't think I've ever been at the opening of any of the shows. Really? I've, I've seen most of the shows. Actually, I haven't seen all the shows installed. I've seen most of the shows that I've worked on over the years, but I don't think I was ever to an opening day, um, which is probably too bad because I'm sure it would be very exciting. But no, actually, to tell you the truth, before this moment, I never thought about it. But no, I'm, I'm sure that I've never been to an opening day. Well, that's disappointing because I feel that music, and especially yours, is the reason that these attractions are so popular because it gets the audience involved in the film, basically. Well, I, I, would, I would love to think that the reason these shows are so popular is because of my music, but I don't think that I could actually say that. I would have to say these shows are pretty spectacular on their own. And that the purpose of the music, the point of the music is, first of all, to get people into the show. Mm-hmm. And then once they're in the show, to be able to maximize the enjoyment and the understanding of the show. Now, Ellen is a very different kind of show than Spaceship Earth. Mm-hmm. With Ellen, it's, um, you get drawn into the pre-show. She has her story that she does with the dream and all that. And then as you, as you get involved in whatever her, her situation is, the door is open and you go into this big, huge room. Nobody knows what they're seeing unless they've been to the show before. So it's all, in these shows, you're never quite sure what you're going to see or where you're going to go or what's going to happen if something's going to pop out on out to you or whether you're going to go around a certain corner and see something completely. You never know what you're going to do. So the music is just enhancing that. I don't think the music in any of these shows would be enough reason to get somebody into the show, although you know it's a nice thought. Um, and Spaceship Earth is a different thing because in Spaceship Earth, as you stand in line and you wait to get in the show, there's a music that plays out there, too, to prepare you, mm-hmm. to get you sort of in the mood of what the show is going to be. Once you get into the show, it's basically a dark room. You get on the ride, and, and you, go up the, you go up the hill to start the show. And even going up the hill, you're not quite sure what you're going to see, and the music is of a certain kind to be kind of enhance the experience to say, well, we're not sure what we're going to see, but it's going to be big, and it's going to be really interesting, and then, you know, the music carries you on. So we're part of the... Um, I don't want to say we're part of the scenery, but we're definitely part of the enhancement factor. Mm-hmm. But in the in the Disney shows, in all these theme park shows, I don't think that you could say that there's any one element outside of the story itself. Um, I don't think there's any one element that really 
draws the people in. I think it, you'd find that it's probably a bunch of elements. Mm-hmm. Story, personality, design, speed of the ride, interest, all these things that, that combine to make any of these rides special. Mm-hmm. And, and what was your first uh, musical composition that you created for the Walt Disney Company? I, I, the, the first theme park thing I did was at Epcot, something called um, The Making of Me. Oh, that's that beautiful. Had, uh, Martin Short, yeah, that, and I think that just closed a couple of years ago. That ran for a long time. That one I did in the early 80s. But that was done with an entirely different group of creative people than the ones that I did later. The next one I did was one that was done in France um, about the timekeeper. Cinemagique? Uh, yeah, no, it wasn't Cinemagique. was later. But this was the timekeeper, and they did a version done oh. in, in Florida as well. Time, I think it was called too. Time After Time. or I, I always forget what it's called. And they had two different scores both of which I did. There was sort of the French score and there was the American score. And it was it was pretty much the same show, but the show in Florida had been tweaked for an American audience. They, they brought in Robin Williams. And, uh, the first Disney project, my gosh, I can't remember. It may have been... Was it The Rescuers it, Down Under? Because I remember it may that have was... Been, yeah, it may have been The Rescuers Down Under. That was done in the early... Well, no, actually, the um, making of me preceded Rescuers Down Under. So, you know, I really don't know. I really can't remember. I, I don't think I did any TV. I think the first movie I did for Disney was probably The Rescuers Down Under. How did you get involved with the company? Did um did a friend suggest you, or did you audition with your compositions at all? No, I, The Rescuers Down Under, I think the reason they, they, they called me was because I had done Silverado. And Silverado mm-hmm. was a big, you know, action Western thing, and, and the music was very popular right away. Um, the Rescuers was an adventure film. There were no songs in The Rescuers. And in fact, it was the last movie that didn't have any songs. Um, and they wanted an adventure score, and I think they wanted a score by the guy who had done Silverado. Mm-hmm. So they were, they were not sure that that guy, whoever he was, me in that case, was interested in doing a cartoon, because a lot of composers aren't too interested in doing animation. When I was a boy, I wanted to be an animator. So Disney had always been uh, one of my um, favorite people. And I, I was at Disneyland five days after it opened when I was a kid. Wow. So it, all of this stuff was really a big deal to me. And of course, animation and working on a feature for the Walt Disney, I mean, this is a big deal. So they said, would you be interested in doing this? And they were very tentative. Would you be interested in doing this? I went, yeah, <laughs> you bet. I'd love to do this. This would be great. <laughs> it was sort of like, yeah, I'll have your baby too. You know, um, uh, It was very exciting. And, and um, the movie the movie was spectacular. I mean, it, it's a terrific movie. It was just a spectacular movie, really well made, mm-hmm. top-notch animation. And the thing that, the thing about these shows, uh, animation and theme parks, really were my two favorite kinds of shows to do because one, they're always very, very creative, and the people who make them spend a lot of time on them. So by the time you get get there, people have a good idea of what they're about, and they take you on as a creative partner. They don't take you on as somebody who's going to change their movie or, or maybe slip up or take it to the left or take it to the right. They, they have a good idea where they're going and what they want, and, and you have a chance to try out things and work out things. It's, um, it's really very exciting. And then the thing about something like The Rescue is Down Under, as it is with the theme parks. Like I did a lot of the kid movies, like um, the Homeward Bound movies and, and Rescuers and that kind of stuff. And I've noticed that people now in their 20s and 30s, young adults, watch these shows when they were kids on video 
watch them in their vans and their SUVs. They'd watch them on their DVDs in the back of the car. They'd watch them over and over and over and over and over and over again. And these shows became really meaningful to them. Like you have Shadow, you know, in, in Homeward Bound. And when Shadow comes back, everybody cries and everybody remembers that moment. But they watch it over and over and over again. And as they're watching, they're listening. And the music becomes ingrained with them. The music becomes attached to the themes. It's attached to like Cody's flight at the beginning of the rescues when he's on the eagle. That becomes a really big moment when you see it over and over and you hear it over and over and over again. So it turned out that I had a level of, um, I was saying a level of understanding and awareness that I wasn't aware of. I mean, for me, it was just, you know, it was a nice movie. It was a great movie. It was a lot of fun. And people were terrific to work with and on to the next one. But for the people who were watching it, it became a lifelong experience. And in that part, it's been very, um, it's been very worthwhile. I mean, somebody asked me recently, what, is it, "What does it feel like to know that you had such an effect on somebody's life?" And I said, "You know, I never thought about it. I, just, I was just writing some music for a movie. You know, I, I had no idea that it was going to be taken so seriously and so personally for years and years and years afterward." It's the uh, the ride with the Disney company, particularly, has been a very special one for me. Particularly given what I wanted to do when I was a boy. And when you were asked to work on a project, whether it be for film or for an attraction, how do you gain the inspiration for a, a piece? Well, you get the inspiration basically from the story. I mean, the, the thing about film music, whether and this is true of theme parks as well, but anytime you're, you're doing something for a movie, whether it's live action or whether it's a, an animated thing or whatever it is, you're basically writing a form of accompaniment. And um, so if you have a story about a giant eagle and a boy who flies the giant eagle, or if you have an adventure film or a cowboy film or a suspense film or a comedy or whatever it is, you take your cues from the movie. You, the first thing you ask yourself is, what's the story about this movie? What's, what's the main theme in this movie? Is it, about, is it really about the eagle in the case of rescuing the Well, no, not really. Is it really about the boy? Yeah, what about the boy? Well, the boy wants to save the eagle from the bad poacher. You know, that's a, you get involved in it, so then you say, well, okay, do I need a theme for the eagle? Do I need a theme for the boy? Do I need a theme for the adventure? Do I need a theme for the bad guy? Do I need to do such and such or so-and-so? And what kind of music is that going to be? How is that a feel? Because with this kind of music, it's not... Um, it's different from concert music and different from songs in that it's not so much based upon what the music is in itself and its singability or its memorability. It's really based upon the associations with feeling. So in the case of Rescuers Down Under, one of the, one of the primary emotions that the music brings up is adventure. When, when the boy's up in the sky with the eagle, I mean, that's, that's a boy's dream. You know, that's, that's an amazing thing. If you're on a Roger Rabbit cartoon and he's running through the sky in a... Um, um, in a roller coaster, then all that excitement and all that all that crazy energy is the kind of thing that you're trying to get out. If it's a Western or a suspense film or, or something like Spaceship Earth, in Spaceship Earth, part of that, not all of it, but part of it is the grandeur of being of seeing the Earth from space. But also part of it is trying to experience the uh, ride as you go through the ages, as you're going through the 14th century or as you're going through the 11th century or as you're coming into the modern days, you try to get that music that touches people and associates with it so that, again, it makes the, the underlying idea of the drama or the story even more. So the best thing is if you, if you have a theme that lasts, 
and you hear the theme and you immediately think of the movie that it accompanies and you get that warm feeling or that feeling of you know the brush of the movie uh, then you know you've been pretty successful and you just mentioned one of your most uh, recent scores for the Disney Company, uh, the updated Spaceship Earth attraction, and it is absolutely stunning. From the main theme, we escape into the past to ancient Rome, the European Renaissance, and the fabulous 30s. Um, was there a lot of research done on your part of these specific time periods to get the right tone for each particular scene? Well, yeah, there were some. I, I had to look into some of the older music. The music for Rome and Egypt and Phoenicia, I basically made up because there's no music you know, for those periods. But when you get into the Middle Ages, there's, there's one uh, scene you pass, I think, when they're in a, um, it's like a monastery, and you, and you hear what sounds like a woman singing. It's actually a guy singing very high. It's a counter, what they call a countertenor. But the, the problem in Spaceship Earth was actually, there was actually a mechanical problem. You visit let's say, Egypt, and then you go to Phoenicia. Well, as the cart is carrying you, you're hearing the music from both both time periods. And the trick was, how do you get them to play so that they express the time period that they're, they're there for and also play on top of each other? Because sometimes, for whatever reason, the, the cart stops, and you may find yourself between two time periods, in which case you're going to hear two different kinds of music playing at the same time. How do you write that so that they're not going to get in the way of each other? That was one of the things, one of the problems I had to solve. All of that music is continuous. There's a couple off on the side playing a violin and a, and a lute. That plays with this, all this other music. and They're all very different kinds of music. If you heard the pieces separately, you would think that they were all completely different, but in fact they're all, they all work together, they all interlock. And uh, with that, then you have to come up with the time period so that it expresses the time that it's supposed to be. Those are, those are cool jobs. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and your composition credits include two Roger Rabbit short films called Roller Coaster Rabbit and Trail Mix-Up, which go perfectly with Roger Rabbit's shenanigans. Um, were you supposed to compose music for other Roger Rabbit cartoons that were never made? No, um, there was the feature. Uh, Alan Silvestri did that, and then there were three. There were three shorts made. Um, the first one was scored by James Horner. Then I scored the other two. They were um, no, they were always intended just to be short films. In fact, I think they're released on a DVD. Mm-hmm. The three, the three shorts by themselves. Um, I don't think there was any plan for a projected series. It was. Um, there were things that, that ran in front, of, in front of a movie, like the old cartoons used to be when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. When I was a kid, you'd walk into a theater and you'd get a, um, usually it was a double feature, you'd get two pictures, and in between the two pictures, they'd run a newsreel and they'd run a cartoon. Usually it was Bugs Bunny or something like that. Sometimes it was a Donald Duck cartoon or whatever. And this was sort of along the same, the same style. They had a Disney movie, and then they would put out one of these Roger Rabbit cartoons to accompany it. Mm-hmm. And... Um, yeah, they're. I mean, they're really well made. They are really well made, and they're made actually at a level that the old cartoons, like the old Mickey Mouse cartoons, or even in the other studios, the Warner Brothers cartoons, they they never made them like that. I mean, these things are made like features, and um, very well drawn and very carefully taken care of, and a lot of work, you know. So, no, I think I, I think I did the ones that were supposed to be done, and that was it. Did you work at all uh, to learn the story with Steven Spielberg or any other um, Disney CEOs at the time? Um, in those years, the guy who was in charge of the animation was Jeffrey Katzenberg. And uh, Steven was the executive producer, and he definitely had his, 
his say in it, but the but the hands-on guy was at Disney, and that was Jeffrey. Jeffrey's now over at DreamWorks. Um, Jeffrey, when Jeffrey came to Disney with uh, Michael Eisner, Jeffrey took over animation and basically revitalized it. It was it was um, kind of a disarray by the time you know by the time Jeffrey got there, and he just pumped a lot of energy into it and, and made made it basically what it is. I mean, a, a lot of those old movies like uh, Little Mermaid and, and um, Beauty and the Beast, all those came out under Jeffrey, and uh, suddenly Disney was back, you know, so now Disney's a big... And then, of course, when they they got involved with Pixar, it became even bigger than it had been. So uh, that was that was primarily Jeffrey Katzenberg. In the movies, the um, Roger Rabbit style... Was a, was an old-fashioned style that went back to um, oh, the 40s because it was basically a 1940s kind of a movie. Although it was actually very contemporary because it's very fast and it's very rude and it's very you know energetic. It's a lot more energetic than a movie from the 40s was, but that's the style that we went to. Um, if you go a little bit later, like one of the one of the later things I did was the sequel to, to Bambi, Bambi 2. Mm-hmm. Bambi was done. Um, in the style, trying to get into the style of the original Bambi, so that the two movies could be played back to back. If you went like the, the style, um, the pictorial style is very much like the original Bambi. Uh, it, they're, they're both beautiful films, they're both very, very carefully made, but the music is a very old fashioned style, particularly if you compare it to another cartoon I did over there, The, um, the Three Musketeers with Mickey, Donald, and Goofy. Mm-hmm. That's more like a. Um, that's more like a uh, like an Errol Flynn movie, you know, yes. with the big swashbuckling, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> so the the music, the style, and all these things is very, 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 very different. And if you take the the um, live action features like Homeward Bound, or um, Honey I Blew Up the Kid, or Rescue or something like that, all those styles are very, very, very different depending upon what the film is. When you're when you're composing music for a film, you become sort of like an actor. You know, it's like um, you take an actor like George Clooney. George Clooney can play dramas. He can play a very, very serious drama. He can also do very goofus comedies where he's just a yokel, you know. But it's the same guy. But you buy him in the movie as, as being the yokel or as being the serious guy or the romantic lead or the guy who's being put upon or whatever it is um, because he's an actor. He knows how to play different roles. And when you're working in film music, composers do the same thing. Composers play different roles. Um Sometimes we ride spaceships, sometimes we ride horses, sometimes we ride roller coasters. You know, it's just whatever we need, we try to do it. And then we try to do it in a style that is more or less invisible to the audience, but works with the picture so that it enhances and tells the story in a way that it wouldn't otherwise tell without the music. Which Disney score was your favorite to compose? That's a hard one. I, I really enjoyed The Rescuers Down Under. Um, I really enjoyed working on Honey, I Blew Up the Kid because that was so silly. Um, um, I enjoy. I don't know. I enjoyed. I think I enjoyed all of them. I enjoyed Homeward Bound. I I really enjoyed The Three Musketeers. I thought that was really a great little cartoon. That was fun. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it just. I don't know. I, I think. I, let's just say I I don't remember one that I didn't enjoy. Um, there were some other films that Disney distributed that really didn't produce, like Tombstone and things like that, that were also part of the Disney um, catalog that were, were as fun as well. I mean, anything, anything that came out with my name on it 
that went through Disney seemed always to be a good deal for me. I always enjoyed it. But the ones that I particularly enjoyed always were the animation of the theme parks. The theme parks because they're always very different. I mean, I, I had, I've had so many shows there that are so different. If I hear the music, they're really fun to listen to. Um, but they're, they're like movies, but they're all different styles and things. You know, they're just the Disney thing was just uh, it's like a big potpourri of styles, fun ideas, and terrific people to work with. They're really nice people to work with. Um, a lot of these guys are really good friends of mine. We see each other socially still, you know, after after years of working with each other. That doesn't always happen. <laughs> and, and as a child, was there a Disney film in which the music stuck out for you? You know, to tell you the truth, as a kid, I wasn't aware of the music at all. Uh, my family was musical, and, and when I was a little boy, I took piano lessons and all that kind of stuff. I don't really remember the music in a movie until I was almost in college. When I went to see a movie, I just went to see the movie. I wanted to get excited by the movie. I, I do remember seeing Disney movies. I remember seeing Bambi when I was a little kid. Uh, I remember seeing um, Fantasia. Mm. I remember seeing Cinderella. I remember seeing all those movies, You know, sometimes when they were first released. But I don't really remember the music. And I found that to be actually a good thing because now if I work on a movie or work on a theme park, I realize that people aren't paying attention to the music. They're paying attention to the story. So if I if I do my job right, it'll make the story more interesting for them. It'll make the story funnier or more sinister or scarier or faster, more romantic, whatever it is. But I don't expect that they're going to be listening to my music as much as they're going to be paying attention to the story. Now, sometimes um, you have people who are really interested in music and they can pull the music out of the out of the story, and they're pretty clear on what's happening. But even now, if I go see a movie and I get I get absorbed in the movie, I don't listen to the music. I, I didn't go to the movie to hear the music. I went to the movie to watch the watch the show. Mm-hmm. So I think it's kind of an advantage. It's an advantage remembering what it was like when I didn't know how to hear music, how to listen to music. What Disney character do you think would be your best friend if you met them in person? <laughs> I don't know. That'd be you know, it'd be kind of weird to make friends with a mouse or a dog or a duck. Um, I don't think I, I don't think I could answer that one. Um, I'm not really sure that. Uh, not even the no, mice from I, the rescuers. <laughs> well, I don't think I have friends on that level. Um, <laughs> that's not something that I spend a lot of time thinking about. If I asked you to name any Disney song at this moment that comes to mind, and it is not yours, what does come to mind? Oh, lots of them. Um, when You Wish Upon a Star. Um, uh, it, some of the early Snow White things, like Hi-Ho, Hi-Ho. Um, Someday My Prince Will Come. One of my favorite songs is from Snow White, the uh, the Silly Song. Um, oh, it's just so well put together. It's so well performed. Um, I like the songs from Pinocchio, I, I Have No Strings. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know a lot of these songs, because I, you know, I grew up with them as a kid, too. Um, when I was uh, when I was born, the Disney movies were already old. I mean, you know, Snow White had been out for a long time, and Pinocchio was already made, and and um, things like that. So I saw them, and I grew up as a little boy. I remember having, I remember going to see Bambi, not on the first release, but on I guess on the second release, many years later, and I had a 78 RPM recording mm-hmm. of the of the story of Bambi narrated by Shirley Temple. Wow. It was a Disney recording. And I played that thing over and over and over again. You know, the 78 had two sides, so 
you could play for about five or ten minutes on one side, and then you turn it over and you play the other side. And I play that over and over and over and over and over again. So when somebody says, "Oh, I watched Homeward Bound over and over and over and over," again, I, I know just what that means because I did the same thing. Um, when I went to see Bambi um, two, the first time I saw the movie, um, I had to watch the original Bambi, and I hadn't seen the original Bambi for know, a long time, really a long time. And when I heard Thumper talk and I heard those songs, I was a little boy again. I said, oh, man, I haven't heard that for years. You know? <laughs> and I'm like a little kid. That's, I would say if there's any magic in these movies, that's basically what it is. It takes you back to a spot where you remember, and it's a nice spot. You know, Even going to Disneyland now, I have associations from the first time I saw it and the first time I was there. And, and some of the younger kids aren't quite sure about the older films, but, you know, of course, I'm... I'm an older guy, so I know about these about these films from a long time ago, and really appreciate it. It's it's, uh, it's it's quite an amazing legacy. Absolutely. And do you have any other Disney projects that you may be working on that you can tell us about? No, I never. You know, I never. I never know what's coming up. Never. <laughs> I mean, there are some guys who know that in a year they're going to be working on such such or so and so. I've never been like that. Um, I could sit around for the longest time doing nothing, and then all of a sudden find in two weeks that I'm busy working on such and such or so and so. Um, no, I, I really couldn't tell you. Um, we try to put out the uh, um, we try to put out the soundtracks on CDs to as many of these things as we possibly can. But even that, I, I never know when they're going to come out or when they're going to be released. So, no, I never know. I could just I could get a call. I mean, I could hang up from you and then suddenly get a call and find that, you know, next week I'm working on something. Or, or no call at all and just sit around and find something else to do. Well, surprises are the best things in the world. So I hope you do get a surprise call because <laughs> all of us Disney fans love your music, Bruce. We, and I really do appreciate you coming on the show. Um, for fans who want to listen to more of Bruce's music, please visit his website at www.brucebroughton.com. Um, it was an honor and a pleasure talking to you, Bruce. As uh, as an avid Disney fan, I really want to thank you for um, creating all the music. I do remember making a me Once you brought that up, I was just, oh, I forgot. <laughs> I forgot about it. So when I go back to Disney World next, I'll remember to say something at the energy ride saying, I know this guy. I interviewed him. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, you're you're very nice. It's, it's been a very easy, it's been a very easy conversation, and uh, you're very you're very perky and sparky, and you obviously like the Disney stuff a lot. So it's been really pleasant to talk to you. <laughs> Look out for the dinosaur! <laughs> Kidding. I'm a kidder. Bye bye now.